Welcome, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Easter. We're glad you're here. We're going to look at a story tonight. And it begins on Thursday of Holy Week. We just went through Holy Week. And on Thursday of Holy Week, it's Passover. It's the Passover meal. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. I mean, it's God washing people's feet. It's an amazing picture. And in the Gospel of John, he gives us so much more detail of the teaching that Jesus does in those moments. And as Jesus begins to serve the Passover meal and he washes the disciples' feet, he begins to paint this picture of heaven. And it goes like this in John 14. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Now, if you know anything about Thomas, he's a little bit blunt. He will ask the obvious question. So he says what everyone is thinking after Jesus says this. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus, as he always is, with so much love and so much compassion, never angry, he just answers the question. In verse 6, he says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, in fact, you do know him and you've seen him. Why were these words spoken by Jesus in this precise moment? Well, I think it's because Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what's next. This is the last night before the crucifixion. Within an hour, Judas is going to betray Jesus over to the religious rulers. There's going to be this farce of a trial. As we talked about last week, Jesus will be scourged. He will be beaten. And then he will be marched down a street. God marching down a street with a cross on his back, stumbling and falling three times. Each time he gets up, he continues on bruised and beaten, marching to his death. As you know, he was hung on a cross, and he hangs there for six hours in agonizing pain. And as he did his entire life there on the cross, Jesus would turn to his father for strength, for comfort. But this time his father, it says, would forsake him. And so you are a disciple, or in this church, instead of using the word disciple, we've been using the word apprentice. So let's say you are an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and you hear these mysterious words just the night before, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If you know me, you will know my Father. And yet you survey this scene at the cross, a scene that is so grotesque, a situation that is so helpless and hopeless, the pain the lack of justice, the confusion, the chaos, and then you hear Jesus cry out, it is finished. And Jesus expires. He dies. And you think again back to those words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you wonder, how can Jesus be the way if I feel so lost right now? How can Jesus be the truth if everything he promised us looks to be a lie? How can Jesus be the life if he's in the 
grave. How do you make sense of this? I mean, coming into this week, you were riding a high, the triumphant entry. Everything is coming together. You are feeling on top of the world. Jesus is ushering in his new kingdom. I mean, all you could think about is, where am I going to rank in that kingdom? And who is ahead of who? And man, those houses, those mansions, they sound pretty swank. And now your rabbi, your teacher, your Lord, your friend is dead. So that's where we pick up in the story tonight. Again, we are in the gospel of John, my personal favorite gospel, chapter 19. And it's the end of that chapter. The beginning of the chapter is the crucifixion. You get to the end of the chapter. Jesus has died. And a couple of men, uh, Joe and Nick, we call them, they're kind of closeted believers. They believe in Jesus, but they haven't told anybody just yet. But they're moving in that direction. And they come and they take away Jesus's mutilated body. And as was Jewish custom, they wrap his body, kind of like a mummy, in linen. And within that linen, they put spices and perfumes. In verse 41, at the end of that chapter, it says, The place of the crucifixion, wouldn't you know it, was near a garden, where there was a new tomb never used before. They laid Jesus there. At its core, Easter is a story of redemption, of broken things being made new, of wrongs being made right. And here we get just a quick glimpse of that. Jesus in his life, he was dirt poor. He had no wealth. As he says, I have no place to lay my head. Only wealthy people had tombs at all, and only the wealthiest people got new tombs. Well, from now on, it's only going to be the best for Jesus, and it starts right here. He's in a new tomb provided to him by these men. We turn the page to chapter 20, verse 1, and John writes this. He says, early on the first day of the week, this is three days after the crucifixion, he says, while it was still dark. It's been three days. The entirety of scripture, we just showed in that song, has been pointing that there is something special about the third day. Jesus has already said, as you saw earlier, that he would rise on the third day. We're going to get to that, but there's something else in this text. If you know anything about John, the writer, the author, he tends to be very poetic, very symbolic. He uses a lot of metaphors. And so here he's kind of using a metaphor while it was still dark. He's pointing us right back to the first chapter of his gospel. John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God, or with God in the beginning, and him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. He goes on, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's how John begins the story in his gospel. He says, a light is coming into the world. And then he begins the story of the resurrection with on the third day, the light ain't here yet, while it was still dark. It's profound, the words. If Jesus had just been born a virgin, lived the perfect life, taught a lot of great things, even died the death he died, but remained in the grave, in the dark, our world would still be in the dark. What does that mean? If you're here tonight, and if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. There are a few truths I think all of us can agree upon. We can find a common ground. So let's find that common ground. Number one, there is something wrong with this world. 
Go out the door, open a magazine, turn on the news, right? There is something wrong with the world. Christian, non-Christian, I think we all agree with that. There are countries invading countries. There are mass shootings. There are parents who are burying their kids. There are people who cannot afford basic needs. There is cancer. There is rape. There is pandemics. Here there is red tides and hurricanes in California. There's earthquakes. And we see these things happen. And deep within our souls... There's a sense that this isn't just some mathematical equation where some people win and some people lose. That's just how it is. But there's this deep sense. It's not supposed to be like this. Something is wrong. And if you can believe that things are wrong, that means you can believe that it's possible for things to be made right. Second truth is there is something wrong, not just with the world. There's something wrong with me. I do things. They make me hate myself for doing. I want to do good, but often I choose my own selfish desires over doing good. The odor we get, our bodies fall apart, and we know this isn't right. We sense it. Most of us, we feel like we'd love to live forever, yet in the end, we know that we die. That's darkness. That's the reality while Jesus remains in the grave. A world in chaos Imperfect humans causing said chaos in all of our life's journey leading nowhere but death. And so John says early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, she's one of the apprentices of Jesus. She came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter. So she, she's at the tomb. She sees Jesus is missing. She runs back. I don't know how far this is. She finds the disciples. She finds Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loves. That's John. That's how he refers to himself. I always love that. <laughs> he can't just say, and John. He's like, nah, the one Jesus really loves, the beloved John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. See, she doesn't immediately go that he's risen from the dead. She just thinks that his body has been stolen. And so Peter and John, they run to the tomb. The Bible says they were racing to the tomb. Guess who gets there first? The writer of the story, John, he gets there first. He happens to also be younger than Peter, so maybe that's why he got there first. Verse 5, it says, John stooped in, and he looked, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. So remember, this is the wee hours of the morning. The sun is just coming up. It's not fully light. It's still dark outside. And John looks into this tomb, and he sees those linen clothes. He says, those silly females, belittles them a little bit. He says, he's there. He's still dead. I mean, who in the world would want to steal a dead body? Verse 6, though, says, Simon Peter arrived. Peter is a ready-shoot-aim kind of guy, so he just goes all the way inside the tomb. And he sees the linen wrappings there, but there is no body in the wrappings. And the cloth that covered Jesus' head, Jesus apparently is a neat guy. He folds up the cloth and sits it on the other side of the tomb. And so we got his kind of mummified linens over here, his headgear all folded up nice and neat on the side. John takes a peek into the tomb, and he sees what he expects to see. Peter goes deep inside the tomb. He takes it further. He's really looking for Jesus, and he sees not what he expects, but he sees two piles of linen in the tomb. Verse 8 says, Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, 
John talking in the third person again, first also went in, and then it says, he saw and believed. And I'll make a quick side note here. It's the importance of a faith community. These guys didn't do it alone. The ladies were there first, then the men come, and then one goes in and another goes in, and they're figuring the situation out together. Just like we do as a church when we explore the Bible, somebody gets this and somebody gets that, and we figure the Bible and the truth out together. Verse 9, it says, For until then, still hadn't understand the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. And they went home. We don't know what they believed exactly. We know it says they were starting to grasp it. The wheels are starting to turn. What they've always believed is now crumbling and deconstructing, and they're trying to rebuild what exactly is happening. And so those men, they ran home. But the women, they stayed there at the tomb. They stayed at the grave. And it says Mary, in verse 11, was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she took another look. She stooped and she looked in. What was Mary thinking in this moment? What would you be thinking in this moment? You're an apprentice of Jesus. You had spent time with Jesus. And you just seen the trauma of Jesus taken away, betrayed, the angry crowds calling for his death, his body beaten and bloodied, carrying that cross through the city, his clothes torn off, naked, nailed up to the cross through his hands and his feet and his wrists. This was her Lord. This was her rabbi. But even more so, this was her friend. Not a philosopher, not a religious guru. Jesus was her friend. Verse 12, it says, She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. 13, he says, Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Verse 14, she turned to leave. <laughs> Again, I got angels sitting here in the room with me. Hey, guys, <laughs> and just walking out of the room. That seems strange, but she turns to leave. And uh, she saw someone standing there. She comes out into the garden. She sees someone standing there, and it says it was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. And he says, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought it was a gardener, it says. And she says, sir, if you have taken him away, just please tell me where you have put him. I will go and get him. Mary is looking right at Jesus, but it doesn't click. I don't know why. Lots of opinions on this. Maybe it was because it was still dark outside and couldn't quite see. Or maybe Jesus' transformed body was perfected in its glory and it just looked different than he had looked before. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But what Jesus says next does matter. Verse 16, he simply says, Mary. And at hearing Jesus say her name, as she had so many times before, she knows. She turns, she cries out, Rabbi! We don't know what John believed, we don't know what Peter believed, but Mary hears her friend say his, her name, and it's crystal clear. It's real. Jesus, my friend, is alive. First person to see and know without a doubt that Jesus is alive. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, 
and so is your faith. But Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Verse 54, and when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? I think far too often we come to Easter and we think of Jesus' victory as this one day because of Jesus, because of his victory, one day I'll finally get to go to heaven. That's my victory. And certainly, without a doubt, that is part of the victory. We sang about it earlier. Revelation 21. John, again, the same guy writing this book, he writes the book of Revelation. It's him having a vision of heaven. And John writes this. He said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. No more Parkinson's, no more cancer. No more stubbed toes, no more double chins when you open your phone and it's facing the wrong direction. (laughs) What's your no more? You can shout it out. When you get to heaven, what's your no more? Just shout some out. No more, praise God. No more. Pain. Pain. Guy just got all his teeth cut out and put back in. He knows about pain. No more. No more addiction, praise God. No more depression, Depression, greed, grief too, greed and grief, both. No more anxiety, amen. No more stress. I wrote some down. No more death row. No more loneliness. No more rejection. No more jail cells. No more depression. No more school shootings. No more lisinopril. No more clozapine. And if you haven't taken either one of those, you're blessed. (laughs) No more middle-of-the-night phone calls. No more crash diets. No more gossip. No more herniated discs. No more foreclosure notices. No more doctors. No more needles. No more animal hospitals. No more receding hairlines. No more politics. No more elections. No more funeral homes. No more orphanages. No more nursing homes. No more shame. And praise God, no more insurance (laughs) non-renewals. And that's all great, the no mores. It's beyond great. But the excitement that first Easter for Mary and John, Peter and Thomas at all, it wasn't heaven. It wasn't that. It wasn't a future day with no more pain. It wasn't even the forgiveness of sin. No one was thinking, yay, Jesus is back. I don't have to go to hell now. All Mary could think was just to cry out, my friend, he's alive. The most loving, compassionate, fascinating human being I have ever met. I thought he was dead, but he is here with me. And he's here with us. Verse 19, it says, that evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he says. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And then it says, they were filled with joy. Just when they saw the Lord. They were filled with joy because they saw Jesus. 
Their circumstances hadn't changed. They still don't understand sin and heaven. The Jewish leaders that they were afraid of before Jesus showed up are still out there. But when they saw their friend, they were filled with joy. Why? Because they loved their friend and he was alive, which means he was still with them. And now it begins to click. That friend is here to show me the way. When my way isn't working, my friend who is here to tell me the truth when fear is filling my heads with lies. Revelations 21, again, John writes, and the one sitting on the throne said, this is Jesus. He said, look, I am making everything new. Jesus is making everything new, but it's still not fully light outside. There is a sense of darkness still in this world. Yes, the sun is coming up. We know that it is rising, but there is still darkness in our world. There is still darkness in our hearts. We all know what it's like to feel like we've been buried in a grave, to be like the disciples, riding high, feeling like we are on top of the world, and then bam, the job, the income, it dies goes into the grave. Our church that we loved murders our reputation. That marriage that once seemed it had so much life is now nothing but death. A headstone, I call them Facebook memories, where friendship once existed. Or maybe our certainty. We just knew everything for sure, and that certainty dies. Leaves us with nothing but doubt. Or maybe it's simply our bodies or our minds that are slowly withering and fading towards death and the grave. But I also know, because I know most of you in this room have seen Jesus turn those graves into gardens. You've seen Jesus bring forth spring blossoms where there was once only winter. Mental health and stress and anxiety Redeemed by following the ways of Jesus, his simplicity, his solitude, his Sabbathing. This church is unique. We have a large LGBTQ community in this church. I think we're unique for this area. And man, I have heard so many beautiful stories of redemption as you've moved from death, from feeling abandoned by your families and your churches, to then finding this place. And learning to get comfortable with the truth that you are loved by God. And then seeing those who initially abandon you coming back to life. And coming around to that same truth. And who knows, maybe one day those churches who tried to kill you will turn those graves into gardens too. And what a day that will be. See, our graves and our gardens, they can be big or small. It can be big. A situation so hopeless the loss of a loved one, where the only truth of Jesus that we can hold on to is that heaven, is that no more. And sometimes it can be small. Maybe it's just, you know, that day you were thinking it was Friday, but it's actually only Tuesday. (laughs) And somehow you still find a way to be happy because of Jesus. Graves into gardens. Let me tell you this, what better evidence, we all want evidence for this resurrection of Jesus thing, right? Show me the truth, show me the proof. What better evidence to the resurrection of Jesus than to see graves turn to gardens for those who follow him one at a time? That angry person in that grave transformed into a life of happiness. 
That person with no purpose, that aimless life, all of a sudden now having a new resolve and determination. That divorced person finding a way to forgive and then moving on to a new beautiful relationship. Dying to certainty, which is a death of a thousand cuts, I will promise you. But then rising up for the ashes with a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe it's chronic pain and you rise up out of that and you finally can make some sense out of that in your life. Or maybe it's depression and you rise up out of that grave and you turn it into a mental health counseling ministry. Or maybe it's cleaning a house and it's so perfectly clean and it's a war zone 10 minutes later. And Jesus shows up and he says, friend, peace to you. (laughs) And you just let it go, messy house and all. Because we talked about this a few weeks ago. What's the worst that can happen? Jesus said, what's the worst that can happen? Why are you worried? Why are you stressed? What's the worst that can happen? It kill you? Good. Because then our worst case scenario is our best case scenario. Because our friend walked out of the tomb to be with us. So there ain't no grave that can hold our bodies down. Amen. I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to close tonight. We want to give thanks to the way, to the truth, and to the everlasting life. My favorite Bible verses, it's so on my heart that I tattooed it on my arm. I put it on the screen so you can see it. It's Romans 10, 9. And it goes like this. If you declare with your mouths that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. In our story tonight, John takes a peek inside the tomb of Jesus. Just a peek. Because it's just a peek superficial, John sees what he expects to see. Maybe that's you. You've been looking into your graves, you've been looking into that tomb, and you see what you expect to see. You see the heartache, you see the loss, you see the pain, you see the injustice. See what you expect to see. But maybe, maybe like Peter, we ought to go a little deeper into our graves, to really look deep into that grave, to search and to seek within those graves, and to maybe find Jesus. Or maybe at the very least, find what we thought to be true maybe is not true. Or maybe tonight you've been looking and looking in these graves, looking for transformation, looking for for redemption, but you've been looking with your eyes only. And you just need to shut up and you need to stop looking and you need to pause in the quiet and just listen. Listen for Jesus to call your name. Mary, Brian, Tom, Heidi, David, Nicole, I gave my life for you. But the grave didn't hold me down, so your graves won't either. And so let's get to work. Let's make this place new. I'll show you the way. I'll give you the truth. Come on, into the garden. Let's experience everlasting life today. Why don't you stand? Let's give thanks and praise for that tonight.